0: God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1, 4-6. God saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. The apostle John also tells us that if we are Christians it is so Because we are among those whose names have been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Revelation 13, 8. And then the risen Lamb, Jesus himself, charges us in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Ephesians 1, 2 Timothy 1, Revelation 13, Matthew 28, I don't know precisely how those texts land on you, but I can tell you how they land on me. Uh, These truths remind me, among other things, that our mission to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ is absolutely from another world. And the sooner we acknowledge it, uh, the better. Our mission to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ is absolutely from another world, and as soon as we begin to warm up to that and acknowledge that and embrace that and enjoy that and live that way, the better. It's altogether natural uh, to want to be normal and have a desire to fit in, uh, to not want to stand apart from other folks, to desire to blend in with people around us so we don't cause any unnecessary attention to come to ourselves. That's natural. That's normal. But here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's just not possible. Not for long, anyway. And if you'd like to learn why, i invite you to turn in your Bibles right now to Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 26. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. I'll begin in verse 26. It's page 865 in the Red Bibles that are underneath the seat in front of you if you'd like to use one of those Red Bibles. Page 865 in the Red Bibles. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, and I'll begin reading in verse 26. The they here in this passage is Jesus and his disciples. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Okay, we'll hold up the reading right there. Here's the first of three points today. If you know Jesus, then just like the Gerasene demoniac, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Yes, you have. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, then just like the Gerasene demoniac, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. And in Colossians chapter one, verse fourteen. Uh, we read a glorious promise for those who are in Jesus. And it goes like this. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that wonderful? That's promise if you know Jesus. Colossians 1.14. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it is not uncommon for church folk like us to claim and even proclaim that this is true of us. And we come by that honestly. Um, Heck, the majority of the American public in the year of 2017, as rapidly secular as we're becoming, most Americans would still claim, lay claim to Colossians 1.14. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Um, But like so many other things in this world, upon further reflection, as they say in the NFL, upon further review, um, we scratch away at the surface here. This claim doesn't stand up to, to scrutiny by and large. And, and here's why. Because the claim in Colossians 1.14 is anchored in the, the reality of Colossians 1.13, which in context reads this way. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins and it is true it is very true that the majority of americans today would claim to have experienced redemption the forgiveness of sins but i guarantee you ask these same individuals if they have been delivered from the domain of darkness you might just find some folks beginning to shuffle their feet a little bit perhaps begin to smirk or outright deny such a thing altogether Lots of people lay claim to being saved, but if you press just a little bit further and ask the question, saved from what? They don't have an answer for you. It's not even a question that a lot of professing Christ followers have even thought about. And I'm sure that you would encounter more than a few blank stares if you asked them, saved from What? Well, here in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 33, we have the account of Jesus and the Gerasene demoniac. It's Luke's recounting of a rather well-known instance in the life of our Savior where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with thousands of demonic forces, demonic hosts that were centralized on one man, and Jesus forces them out by the power of his word. Jesus releases this man from this satanic stranglehold. And, and we will not seek to minimize the impressiveness of this miracle. Don't want to do that. But I also want to seek to identify with the experience of this miracle, to associate ourselves with it. Because if the garrison demoniac experienced anything in this passage, he experienced the reality of Colossians 1, 13 to 14. God delivered him from the domain of darkness and transferred him to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom he now has forged- redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And if you know Jesus, you're not so different from this guy. In fact, if, if you know Jesus, you're a lot more like this guy than not like this guy. So don't keep him at arm's length this morning. You're going to look in the mirror today if you know Jesus. It's a mirror of your conversion so let's look at three different ways in our text where we are similar to this. If you know Jesus, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. How so? First way, we, if we, like the garrison demoniac, have been delivered from our sin, we were once living dead. We, like the garrison demoniac, were once living dead. Look with me at verses 26 and 27 again. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Just paint the picture here for a moment. Jesus, when Jesus found this man, this man had nothing to wear, not a stitch of clothing on, and he had no home in which to stay unless, of course, you count the graveyard in which he was making his home. Verse 27 says, He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And before you knew Jesus, you may not have lived in a cemetery, but you were walking dead all the same. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 that you were, what? Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this World, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead to prayer, dead to scripture, Dead to holiness, dead to evangelism, dead to foreign missions, dead to worship. We were dead to God. We're not so different from this man. Like the garrison demoniac, we too were once living dead. Second way, we're like him. Like the garrison demoniac, we were once entirely outmatched. Like the garrison demoniac, we were once entirely outmatched. Verses 28 to 30. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you not to torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. And uh, he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons out into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. Legion for we are a uh, legion. That's another passage where he says, for we are many. And many demons had, had entered him. Okay. This man, from every indication that we have, was demon-possessed. I mean, that's what the rest of the passage says um, And when we get there. He was demon-possessed. And while it's true not every unbeliever is demon-possessed, it is true that every unbeliever is demon-oppressed, at least to a degree. It does not seem to me a stretch to make that claim in the view of the way that the Apostle John speaks about the world in 1 John 5.19 where he says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's a sobering thought. Everyone on your list of five that you are praying for We are from God, according to John, while the whole world, everyone on your list of five that you're seeking to celebrate and demonstrate and communicate the gospel to, lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus asked the satanic presence in verse 30, what is your name? And the answer he received back is is legion. Luke goes on to explain, for many demons had entered him. Legion is a Latin word for a military unit made up of thousands of soldiers. Not just a thousand, thousands of soldiers. This man is outmatched. Now, Jesus may be outnumbered, but he is not outmatched. Amen? Like the garrison demoniac, we too were once entirely outmatched. We were Satan's toy. We were sin's plaything. Third, we like the garrison demoniac were once miraculously rescued. If you know Jesus, you like the garrison demoniac were once miraculously rescued, verses 31 to 33. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. Hmm. In the Sea of Galilee, I take it. Now, these verses in here is, is far more than we could ever possibly begin to develop in just a, a sub-point of point one. This, so much of this deserves comment. Um, the way that the demons cowered in his presence, what do they do? What's the active verb that they use with reference to him? They beg him. They're in a position to be begging to Jesus. Uh, The demon's fear of the abyss. That's fascinating. I did all kinds of reading on that this week, and we won't even touch that right now. The demon's fear of the abyss, the abode of the grave. The fact that a herd of pigs became a substitute host for these thousands of satanic troops, and in turn, all those pigs lost their lives in the fray. That's an interesting line that we could go down. But I think before we pursue any of those lines of truth with, with profit, let's just, let's just back up and, and note the net effect of all of this. This man got saved. He met Jesus. And if you know Jesus, no matter how you conceive of it in your mind, your conversion was no less dramatic. Not in the most important way. Like the Gerasene demoniac, you were once living dead. You were entirely outmatched, and you were miraculously rescued. Our mission to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ is absolutely from another world. Its source comes from another world and it breaks into this world and it dethrones the sinful powers in this world over our hearts. If you know Jesus, then like the garrison demoniac, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Praise God for it. Now that reality is what's going to send ripple effects into the rest of the sermon that's going to move us toward mission. So here's the second point today. If you know Jesus, then like the garrison demoniac you have neighbors who do not know how to handle what just happened. Like the garrison demoniac, you have neighbors who do not know how to handle what's happened. And I I left a typo in the outline, um, so you'll have to correct it if it drives you nuts. It would would drive me nuts. I'm mildly uh, OCD, so just change the "your" to a you in point number two, and you're off and running. If you know Jesus, then like the Garrison demoniac, you have neighbors who don't know how to handle what's happened. Okay, let's continue the story, verses 34 to 37. When the herdsmen, neighbors, saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus. And they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Literally, the Greek is saved. the word there, saved. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Okay, hold it up right there. I love this middle section of the story. It's very real. It's a very vivid description of what it looks like for the grace of the kingdom of God to break into the darkness of this world and cause all kinds of chaos. The country of the Gerasenes is a gentile territory to this point that had not seen the Jewish Messiah Jesus. They had never seen anything like this in their lives before. This is their first taste of Jesus ministry. Remember, Matthew 15:24 explicitly tells us that Jesus says, "I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." This is gratuity. This is Jesus over and above moving to the other side of the Lake Gennesaret and making this exorcism happen. He's not under any orders to do this. This is just grace. It's all grace. Now, Gentiles are included in God's salvation plan, of course, because by and large, most of us would not be sitting here if that weren't the case. Thank God for that. But at this stage in salvation history, Jesus is primarily ministering to Hebrew people, by and large. His, he's working in an overwhelmingly Jewish context. So these Gentiles are really out of their depth. They have no clue how to deal with this. First, this, this raving, demon-possessed madman was, was exercised by this itinerant Jewish rabbi. Then an entire herd of swine begins charging at a cliff, at which point all of them fall into the lake below and are drowned and meet their sudden death. Verse 35 says, The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I bet they were. These poor folks, they don't even have a category for this. They don't know where to file it. Who knows how long this man had been under demon possession? But to see him now sitting quietly before the Savior, sitting, by the way, Luke is intentional, to be seated before a rabbi in the first century means that you are a student and you're ready to learn. You you sit at the feet before a rabbi. This is just mind-boggling for these folks. They've seen this guy do a complete 180, and, and the end result is that they are afraid of Jesus' power. They don't want him around anymore. Isn't that more than a little ironic and not a little bit tragic? Verse 37, Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, that's Jesus, to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. The other gospel writers say they begged him to leave. Now what does that have to do with us in our context today? Well, if you know Jesus, then like the Gerasene demoniac, you have neighbors who do not know how to handle what's happened. To you, to your family. Perhaps your conversion didn't involve an exorcism or the death of a thousand pigs. But I think it's fair to say that those around you who weren't converted at the time were struck by it and dumbfounded. Even if God saved you decades ago, and there are very few, if any, witnesses remaining from those days, you can take it to the bank that if you are just simply a believer today, minding your own business, loving the Lord, walking with him, reading your Bible, participating in the mission of your local church, you're going to stand out like this guy did. Because most people don't follow Jesus, no matter what they say. Even most church people don't follow Jesus. I don't assume that just because somebody darkens the door of a church building that they're a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Those things don't follow from one another necessarily. Just as sitting in my garage doesn't make me a car, so sitting in an evangelical church sanctuary on Sunday morning don't make me a Christian. Some of you needed to hear that this morning because some of you are with us today and you haven't been born again. You're here, but you're walking dead. And that can change today. That can change today. By the grace of God, through the power of the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, working through the word of God, he can change your heart. He can take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He can make you alive today. By grace through faith, I encourage you, I beg you, I entreat you, turn from your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and become like this guy today. Today. Because when he's changed your life, like 180 death to life, delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of the ever-increasing and everlasting light, you, you live like it. Your convictions, your character, your behavior, they they change. You know that if you know Jesus. And people see. They take notice. And you know what? They're struck. And they're not even sure what by. They're arrested. Some are repelled, that's true. But some are drawn in and they want more. And that brings us to the third point this morning. So let's just button down this point and go there. Our mission to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ is absolutely from another world. The sooner we acknowledge it, the better. If you know Jesus, then like the garrison demoniac, you have neighbors who do not know how to handle what's happened. Third and final and all-important point today. All of this is driving to this point today. If you know Jesus, number three, then like the garrison demoniac, you have a message to preach to your hometown, so go ahead and let her rip. I was so tempted to write tater chip in the outline, but I, I held back a little self-control. If you know Jesus, then like the garrison demoniac, you have a message to preach to your hometown, so go ahead and let her rip. I actually studied the derivation, the etymology of that phrase, letter rip. You can look that up online. Wikipedia has a whole host of information. I was curious about that. I won't bore you with that. But it's a phrase that's been around for a couple hundred years, actually. Let her rip. It's interesting. Anyway, let's finish the story. we saved the best for last. The namesake of this morning's sermon is right here in these verses. So follow along with me. We'll look at Luke chapter 8, 37, halfway through 37 into 39. So he, that's Jesus, got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. <laughs> is so encouraging. You know, some sermons on evangelism, you feel kind of pistol whipped by the pastor and browbeaten. This is not happening today, okay? I just want us to celebrate this man and follow this man's example. In the same way that the demons begged Jesus that they may not be thrown into the abyss and so that they could enter the swine, And in the same way that the Gerasene countrymen begged Jesus that he would leave them, that's according to the parallel account in Matthew 8, 34. So this man is begging Jesus. Note the verb. He's begging him that he might be able to go with him in the band of disciples and become the 13th disciple and accompany them in the boat across the lake. Puritan pastor Matthew Henry notes, he desired Christ's company as much as others dreaded it. I hope that's true for you. I hope you desire Christ's company as much as unbelievers around you might, might dread it. Now, how does Jesus respond? I beg you, Lord Jesus, bring me with you. How does he respond? By sending him away. Isn't that stunning? Verses 38 39. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. He didn't just ask Jesus to go with him. He begged him. And Jesus turned him down. Or should we say he turned him round and sent him home. He sent him right back to where he came from. He sent him home. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you if you stop to think about it, that's where Jesus sends most of us who follow him today. Most of us are told to go home. It's absolutely mission critical, of course, with regard to church planting and global evangelism that Jesus commission persons to to go overseas to the unreached and unengaged peoples of the world You know how it works in the Church of Jesus Christ, the Great Commission, global evangelism. You are either a goer or a sender. There's no third option. Jesus still commissions the vast majority of us not for overseas missions, but for local mission. In fact, if God is calling you to global missions today, to go to overseas missions then understand this, local mission, singular, not plural, local mission, domestic ministries, that is both the launching pad as well as the proving ground for global missions. What you grow in the fields is what you load on the trucks. You can only export what you are manufacturing. You serve what's in your cupboard, right? Global evangelism is predicated upon local mission. Now, here in this text, they are one and the same. That's interesting. At this point, the whole world is an unreached people group. So for him to go home, this man is right in the midst of the unreached and unengaged. He's doing missions everywhere he goes. How does he respond to Jesus' command? I mean, does Jesus need to tell this guy twice? Nope happy just to occupy a small part of the field if he could just serve Jesus. He's off like a shot, isn't he? (laughs) Last sentence in verse 39. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, slipped in between verses 38 and 39 is something really, I would call it sneaky, but Luke's a gospel writer, so we can't call him sneaky. Um, It is one of the sneakiest references, though, to the deity of Christ you're liable to find in the New Testament. Did you catch it? Let's read verse 39, and I bet you'll see it if you haven't yet. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. (laughs) Did you hear it? Jesus commands him, go home. Tell him about God. So he went home. He told him about Jesus. Luke's a careful author, isn't he? Jesus is God incarnate. Does this man appear to be a frustrated local evangelist? No. I'd have to say liberated evangelist is more like it. The text says, once again, he went away proclaiming. Throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. Now, the word proclaiming here in the original is an extra special word. It doesn't appear a lot in the Bible. It's the Greek word uh, for a herald, for a preacher. The word is preacher here. It's this. This is preaching, proclaiming. Um, Normally, there's other words uh, that the New Testament would use for what this man is up to, but it uses the preacher word here. Paul uses the exact same word when he exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Preach it. Uh, It's it's the word that means the work of a town crier. It's, It's hear ye, hear ye, a message from the king. That's the word for proclaiming here. He's not just sharing, not just speaking. Right? Speakers are from Radio Shack, right? He's not speaking. He's preaching. What a town crier does. In the Gospel of Luke, other preachers like this, in this limited elite group, are John the Baptist, preacher, Luke chapter 1. Another preacher would be Jesus himself, preaching in the synagogues. When Jesus sends out the 12 disciples in chapter 9, that's preaching. You see that in chapter 9. And then finally, when Jesus issues Luke's version of the Great Commission, Luke 24, 47, we see Jesus says repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, preached, in his name to all j- nations, and then uh, beginning from Jerusalem. That's the word for new, uh, preaching, too. So what, this, what does this mean for us today? Let's just land the plane. Um, it's real simple. If you know Jesus, then like the garrison demoniac, you have a message to preach to your hometown. So go ahead and let it rip. Um, we need this encouragement today, don't we? Yes, we should concentrate on demonstrating the gospel of Christ, not, not minimizing compassion or mercy ministry or, or being the good news when you move into a situation. Please, please do that. Let's not ruin, let's not unsay with our lives what we say in the gospel. So be the good news when you share the good news with unbelievers. Yes, we ought to labor to lay a foundation for our relationships with lost people. Foundation that can bear the freight of the gospel as we share it with them, yes. Yes, we ought to speak the truth in love, yes to all of this. But at the end of the day, it's all said and done. Christianity is for sharing, isn't it? The gospel is for the ears. And if we live squeaky clean, super friendly lives among our neighbors and yet they never hear the good news from our mouths, it's like we are a commercial for a product they don't know what to buy. And evangelistically speaking, we are worthless. I don't know that saint francis actually said this but he is supposed to have said preach the gospel always if necessary use words you know that famous quote it's not actually saint francis it's it's somebody else Um, but he gets it hung with that but you know as well as i do that that is an awfully dangerous way of framing our mission since words are absolutely necessary they're not optional I prefer instead uh, the comment of another Christian leader who recently said, preach the gospel always if necessary. Rebuke anyone who says if words are necessary. Words are necessary. Better still, listen to the wisdom of 19th century pastor and church leader Horatius Bonar. I just love saying his name. Horatius Bonar. He was a hymn writer, he was a Scottish preacher, and he was awesome. This is what he says. Speak out fearlessly, nobly, Confidently, the words of truth, the message of God, and the gospel of His grace. Let not the fear of man bring a snare. Let your trumpet give no uncertain sound. Speak so that no man shall mistake the meaning of your message. Do not blunt or muffle your words. Speak aloud. Speak with clarity, not mistily, circuitously, with enticing words of man's wisdom, that the world shall hear whether they like the sound or not. (laughs) Lift up your voice. Utter your testimony. Obey your Lord and deliver your soul. End quote we need to hear that that's what we need to hear that's what we need to do more of that so by god's grace friends our church it has the gospel right glory to god we have the gospel right but by the grace of god let's get the gospel out 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 of 2117 commerce boulevard down into your neighborhoods and into your home our 2020 vision deeply depends upon faithful and fruitful evangelism in the days ahead. Now, fruitful is up to God. Ultimately, we plant, we water, God gives the growth. But faithful? That's totally up to us. That's 100% up to us. Oh, that every Christ follower among us would would burn with evangelistic passion, would plead with God in evangelistic prayer. And then imagine the evangelistic possibilities. That's my way of talking about Romans 10:1, where Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer unto God for them is that they may be saved. So Mount Evangelical Free Church, in this new season of ministry, in the words of Jesus, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Tell them about Jesus. Amen? All right, let's review. Our mission to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ is absolutely from another world. The sooner we acknowledge it, the better. So if you know Jesus, three ways you're like the Gerasene demoniac. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Number two, you have neighbors who do not know to handle what's happened. They don't know what's going on. So number three, preach to them. You have a message to preach to your hometown, so, so go ahead and let it rip. Let's end this morning where we began uh, with the words of the Apostle Paul. My favorite text on evangelism in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, that I may declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Why? it's not complicated, is it? It's the simplest thing in the world. Prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. So Mount Evangelical Free Church, this week, get on your knees for your list of five. Would you join me in getting on your knees? I've got a list of 28. 20 of them live on Edgewater Drive and the other guys I I hang out with throughout the week too. I spend time with them. I want to open my mouth to them. So pray for them, care for them, share with them. Get on your knees for your list of five. Move your feet toward your list of five and open your mouth to your list of five. If you say, what's a list of five? Go out into Fellowship Hall. We've got these cards. We've got a big stack of them. Grab one. Write down, the list of, write down the names of, of five people that as far as you know that they're, they're far from Jesus and just pray for them. Nobody can stop you from praying for them. Amen? Pray for them. Invite them into your life and move toward them. All right, let's pray.